Welcome to the Dubious Consumers Podcast for the week of November 20th. My name is Justin D. Hurd. My name is Nathan Steinman. And welcome back, guys. It is the two of us guys. again. Guys, women, <laughs> all the things. Uh, it's the two of us again. Uh, Skylar should be having his kid any time any now. moment. Yeah. Sometime. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you know as soon as that happens. Um, but for now, it's just the two of us. So uh, We tried to get a third wheel. We did. Uh, I know Zach, who's been on here previously, he just got a new job. So he was like, man, I got to be at work at 5 a.m. the next day. I'm like, ah, okay, cool. I, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Right. I mean, new jobs is part of the reason why we've had such a long gap sometimes. Right, right, right. So it's <laughs> we totally understand. Yeah, nothing that you can fault anybody for. Yeah. So, uh, how have things been going, Nathan? Uh, pretty, pretty decent. Just had a five-year wedding anniversary. It was awesome. Congratulations! Went to the Action Figure Museum in Paul's Valley. I like. I used to drive down um, that way a lot for work. Whenever I was doing insurance stuff and even um, errands, we had a lot of people past um, or around Paul's Valley or in that area. So I, I've looked at the billboard. I'd, dozen or so times even more than that and be like man i need to go by there and never have totally worth it you would you you could take the key uh you take graham there i'm not sure <laughs> she the it's it's not that you can't most of the stuff is protected like behind glass or behind you know but there is one area that you have to watch the kids <laughs> okay there's a big open area where there's just thousands and there's like literally just a bar okay between you and thousands of thousands of pieces of action figures yeah it's kind of like the uh, museum of uh what is it, osteology or whatever it is yeah it, I, i've been meaning to go to that one forever like it's even on even showed up a couple times on judge john hodgman you you, you can literally drive up the road <laughs> now I, yeah i know and it's I, awesome dude the uh, the whale skeleton that they have the mastodon that they have Right, right, right. It's incredible. Well, I definitely need to check it out. Um, so the latest big release that's come out, I guess, I mean, other than Fantastic Beasts, would be Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's already at like half a billion dollars. So. Wow! Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I honestly haven't followed up on. I just know the opening weekend wasn't the strongest of the fourteen. No, but the second weekend had the lowest drop in the last ten Marvel films. Okay, so it had the it kept more of a it kept more of an audience than, and the only real big release against it was probably Arrival and Trolls. Yeah, that I, I don't know. And there's a bunch of kids that probably wouldn't be able to go see Doctor Strange just because it's, you know, PG-13. And some parents are like, it's not PG or PG, you're not going to say it. Honestly, yeah. at this point, are is anybody, I mean, I guess they are, but I didn't even think to check the rating on it. It's, uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot of PG-13, but the fact that they, I think it's more the uh, the the imagery that they were haven't they, haven't they all been pg-13 not all of them some of them are pg i swear i don't know i think i think maybe i'm just assuming because i've watched too many older films that are pg 
that I would just assume. <laughs> well, I mean, like, Jaws should have, probably should have been R, just based off the opening. Yeah, but R didn't exist then. So. No, R existed, but PG-13 didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it, w- it was kind of that weird... I mean, technically, The Dark Knight, just based off of subject matter, should be um, R. Yeah. Like, just off the The feeling. fact that there was no blood got it. Is it yeah, and there the, was no smoking. There was no smoking. There was no blood. Right. So therefore, they got a PG-13. Yeah, so... Um, so, what'd you think of Doctor Strange? I loved it. I, uh, have seen it twice. I really enjoyed it. I, uh, maybe it's also because I have the reference of the fact that I knew the character was essentially the Tony Stark of, uh, <laughs> of magic. That it doesn't really, that doesn't bother me because, I mean, Stanley literally has, like, three origins. Orphans. Or rich guys, those are uh, and scientific accidents. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> those are the three. Sometimes they're blended together. Yeah, sometimes you get all three. You know, right? <laughs> An orphan billionaire who's a <laughs> scientific accident. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, personally, I really enjoyed it. I've only seen it once. Saw it in IMAX 3D. Um, my only complaint with that is that the early scenes are dark, but you know. I'm, since I haven't seen it normally, they just may be a little bit darker because they're trying to veil who Mads Mikkelsen is at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely trying to not give it away completely until you see his face. Right. But you get his face pretty quick. But You do, you do. It's just that initial um, him walking in being hooded along with the other characters and the uh, shadow of being a head being cut off, you know. Yeah, but you weren't going to see a head getting cut off. Oh, come on. Precisely in a Marvel movie. They don't even do that in the comic books, even. A lot of the mature comic books, they don't show that stuff. It's not Deadpool, man. Oh, come on. It's not Daredevil on Netflix, where you see a guy jam a piece of glass through his own head. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not faulting it for the silhouette thing. It was, It was surprising to just even see them... Go, oh, hey, yeah, we just cut this guy's head off. The fact that there were literal deaths right, in this movie was kind of a, a shocker. Um, yeah, as somebody who hasn't, like, I heard some complaints about uh, Dormammu. I've heard, you know, how the way he looked, and I can kind of agree with it because, you know, it's... It, honestly, I think that the, um, the deus ex baby from Matrix looked better. <laughs> but that's also because it was individual pieces oh. rather than a 3D face that had a um revolving fractal moving out of it. Yeah. I I I I liked the redesign of Dormammu, especially cuz we're in the dark dimension and they didn't really go into his physical form of the dark dimension. They didn't really get touch on that because right. I mean, he has a physical form in the comics that is the red there's a fiery head uh, floating above a body. You know, he's not really corporeal, but it's like a corporeal version of him where he's human sized. Okay. Yeah, I, I honestly haven't read the comics. It's, you know, one of those where I enjoyed it as for what it was. Um, the other complaint I heard a lot of people saying was the training didn't feel like it was enough. I, I could have dealt with more training, and that's the first time I've probably said that. But I I don't know. I liked it that 
but that's because one, I, one, I wanted 60 I wanted 60 more minutes of crazy magic shit you know right but, but I mean <laughs> I, I liked it that once he once she finally triggered him yeah um that he was just like oh yeah okay this 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 okay cool cool yeah well let me look at this book okay now that I have know this I can do this and I can add this and yeah and he's 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 a, you can tell he's a quick study despite and the fact that he's also using his astral form to study while he's asleep. Right. So that his physical form is resting, you know. They could have done even more that they could have I could have dealt with more different magic in the training, seeing him do more different stuff. But, you know, that's that's just because I want as much Doctor Strange as possible. I've been waiting twenty years for this movie, you know. Right. I've seen the terrible seventies one that has some. He, I don't even think he comes to Doctor Strange to like the last fifteen minutes of the of the TV movie. Backdoor well, I mean, pilot. Well, I was gonna, as I you know, I mean that's that's the Mad Max formula there. Yeah. Because hey, we're gonna ha- you know that's one of the weird things for me because um I I keep confuse I don't anymore but I used to confuse the plot lines of Mad Max and RoboCop together. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, cool, like Mad Max super early becomes that and the whole the rest of it's a revenge thing. And it's like, no, like it's the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's, as uh, you, it's a slow burn to get to the yeah. as far as the plot, but like the action will search pretty quick. Yeah. Right. And then Robocop, I was like, Oh yeah, like that's not till like the last fifteen minutes that becomes Robocop and then you know, because I I'm used to number two. Yeah. And so that you know Which number two is so brutal. Like way more brutal than the first movie is in a lot of ways. Even no. though that, even though when they blow his hand off in RoboCop One, I was like, "Holy crap!" That was probably one of the scariest things I saw as a kid. Was the the first RoboCop movie? Right, right, right. So I don't know. Like I think I like RoboCop Two better, but going back and rewatching RoboCop One, kind of went like, "Holy shit!" Like this is this is intense. Yeah. That and that's kind of one of the weird things about watching old 80s movies and then like there's all these action movies that you're like oh yeah this is really good but then if you put it in context of the time it came out you go oh, wow that was a really shitty movie comparatively yeah well and that's the other thing is like we try uh, i think we, a lot of times what happens is we look at the overall film context and not the bubble that some of those movies were made in well i mean you know? like, the, like the one i'm thinking about specifically is total recall like Total Recall, I really enjoy as a movie. I like it. I think the effects are good. Da 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 da. But then you go, wait, that was made in 1990, and we're two years away from Terminator 2. But the abyss has already happened. The thing has already happened. Like you think back to all these movies beforehand that you're like, oh wow, those are amazing practical effects. Oh my god, or whatever. And then you look at Total Recall and you go. Well, those are pretty bland sets. Those are cool effects, but they're not mind-blowing like The Thing was. Yeah, or... But it's also not The Masters. It's not Stan Lee. It's not the guy that did The Thing. It's right, right. somebody else trying to imitate what those guys do and not doing it as well. Yeah, but outside of the context of when it came out, it's I mean, good. Blade, I mean, and it does... Blade Runner had already happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, think how different Total Recall and Blade Runner are. I mean, oh, yeah. Just an atmosphere and lighting and composition of the image you know like paul verhoeven was definitely trying not trying to do right uh trying to up out ridley scott ridley scott <laughs> right well i mean and that's the whole thing is that you go and go okay cool this is 
this is a decent movie. Like, I enjoy it. I have fun watching it. I think the effects are good. And then you go, wait, it's 1990, and all this shit has come before it, and some stuff is coming directly after it. Oh, wow, this this is kind of trash cinema comparatively to yeah. the other stuff. Well, but even if you look at uh, Starship Troopers and his kind of oeuvre of movies after <laughs> Showgirls, you know? <laughs> Is it amazing that like he did start Showgirls and he did Starship Troopers? Yeah, uh, but uh, think how good some elements of Starship Troopers look compared to even RoboCop, you know? Right. But then also, like, I know it's on purpose, but the acting was so stilted compared to something like Total Recall, or where a lot of the performances are nowhere near as stilted. In the right. Movie. Right. You know? But uh, I really. The things that I really loved about Doctor Strange, uh, I love the way the Eye of Agamotto works. I like the fact that they actually used some uh, real um, occult imagery in the way the shields look and the way uh, the magic of the time, the magic of the Eye of Agamotto looks. Uh, the, The fact that we had three distinct set pieces of you had the dream sequence slash kind of stargate sequence for him you had the well i guess you had four because then you had the the battle inside the mansion right then you had the battle inside the mirror dimension and then you had everything happening in reverse in hong kong leading up to the dark dimension right 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 so like talk about them i felt like this was one of those movies that was perfectly set up for special effects like they thought about how can we make the fact that we can do anything work you know they really pushed those ideas and some people like i've heard complaints of like oh this movie just kind of washed over you know like there's they're tired of effects movies basically <laughs> i don't know there's a there's a lot of scenes that have a really good lived-in feel and you know great set design oh yeah incredible set design a lot of it oh. <laughs> i just hit the microphone uh sorry everybody but uh, but yeah that's overall i liked it it would like it's not one that made me go oh shit like redefined but it does make me interested in how he's going to play with uh the infinity war i i feel like with marvel i mean just even the stargate sequence like i felt like the whole that whole look into your third eye you know each way that it flowed had a different structure had different influences had different color palettes and stuff that they were exploring whether you had the 2001 space odyssey stargate stuff or you had the more direct kind of psychedelic uh, max ernst kind of influence stuff of the arms growing into faces growing into eyes you know Right, yeah. right. The hands growing into hands upon hands in, that turned into a face that turned into an eye, eye that he yeah. grabbed onto. Like. Yeah. And like, I, we haven't really seen a lot of movies, especially not expensive blockbustery kind of movies, with that intense visual imagery. And uh, uh, I know this movie is getting a lot of comparisons to The Matrix and Inception, and I see why. It's It's a movie that was it's a character that's perfect for the special effects heavy movie. Right. You know, uh, but the thing that a lot of people, uh, maybe it's just a, our ignorance of art. Maybe it's just sheer ignorance of it because, you know, some of the P 
people we like that are real big movie buffs. They're just into movies. That's all they do. They read movies, read about movies. They watch movies. They read literature about movies. They don't. They read screenplays. They don't. They don't read comic books. They don't read novels. They don't read art history. They don't have any other context. But like the thing that bothered me is the com- the comparisons with Inception got frustrating because even before the movie came out, because it's, I'm like, no, this is M C Escher. This is not Inception. M C Escher was doing that shit. A long time ago, you know. To be fair, Inception does straight up go, oh yeah, the the you know Primrose Steps, you know, yeah, yeah like this. It's more than three or four different occasions steals directly from M.C. Escher's art, right? And I feel like what they did was more fractal versions of M.C. Escher's art, and much more fractal imagery in general, right? 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 Which Inception did not go into at all, <laughs> or in the kaleidoscope imagery. No, as well. I mean that—that's the whole thing with the uh, brows held high about surreal. Like it, the thing that definitely turned me on about that one was going like, oh, "Okay, you know, here's here's his. This is what Christopher Nolan dreams of. Yeah, you know, it's rules." It's not surreal, yeah. but here's surreal stuff, and Nolan is doing the same stuff. Yeah, he's he's very influenced by surrealism while making it very grounded, right? Very and that, real, and that that was the weird thing is that if you look at it on paper, it's surreal, but in practice, it's not. Yeah, well, in practice, it's more subtle. It's much more subtle than it is surreal, right? You know, you know where. I feel like Scott Derrickson was like, no, we're going out and out surreal here. <laughs> like, and that's what I loved about everything. The whole ending sequence going backwards is, you know, a lot of movies, we see a lot of destruction and here it was. The destruction is being reversed. You know, <laughs> the destruction is being fixed, you know, instead of a superhero destroying everything, they're fixing everything. Right. You know, like there's, the consequences are the fact that, like, oh, we have this ability to go against nature, and this is what we can do with it, you know. Which ultimately is, you know, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah, Baron Mordo. Yeah, is that's like his whole conflict, and it's like there's a lot in common with Green Lantern here, but everything's done in a master class as opposed to what happened with that movie. Yeah, and also there's more training. There's much more. There's more training than there isn't GL. Right. Like, GL is like, and here's the, here you can do anything. You can do anything, and then we're back on Earth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they try it a little bit, but. Yeah, they just don't, you don't get the sense. Like, where visually the movie really goes for, like, oh, no, they can do anything. Just the fact that, like, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, the Caecilius uh, uh, character, uh is directly manipulating time and space outside of the mirror universe. But then when they're in the mirror universe, he can do it 10,000 fold, you know? Yeah, I mean, you don't really see... You see the effect... You see what's happening at the time, but it doesn't actually affect beyond where he's at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It only affects the space he's in. Yeah. Until they're in the mirror universe. And then he can affect all of it. (laughs) He can completely change it. Right, right, right. mold it in whatever way he sees fit. But and I love I love the death scene for the ancient one, uh, the fact that like here she is, slowing time yet again. Right, right. She's breaking our own rules just to get the last moments of life. Yeah, I mean the whole thing. You know, technically she could have kept herself going, but 
but I don't think she wants. I think the thing is, is she's lived long enough. You know, it's that moment of like, I can't see past here because I'm supposed to die. You know, don't rewrite time for me, basically. You know. Yeah, I mean that's my only uh, my only real complaint with the movie is um it's the eye of agamotto yeah is that mads mickelson doesn't recognize it yeah but he could also just not be focused on it I, I i honestly don't for somebody who's trained there and is like looking for the ultimate power for there to be that the eye of agamotto that is sitting on the day but he also knows what the eye of agamotto is the eye of agamotto is time but he doesn't want time but it's beyond time he does but he also doesn't ever recognize it but then like but he's already under the influence of dormammu by the time we see him so no hmm. but but no he's under the influence of dormammu by the time he meets strange but he's still obviously himself like He's got the extra power, but Dormammu, Dormammu is not running his body. Yeah, but I'm just saying he's under the. It, there is the influence of Dormammu. There, there is the influence, but I, I honestly think like it totally would have been solved even with the throwaway line, which would have been, "Why do you have that?" Like that could have been in that that should have been a part of their dialogue when. Yeah, but that could have just ended up on the cutting room. Floor. It could, it could have. So, but for me, that's an issue. Is that. Like, this is something the Ancient One is the only person to touch. Like, they use it, it's part of the dais that they use to move between the different... um, Sanctums. There you go. The sanctums. And yet, Mads Mikkelsen, who is using Dormammu's power and knows kind of what that is, never goes, you obviously, you know, the the whole Mr. Mr. Doctor, okay, cool, it's strange. Yeah, like I love that. Who am I to say? Yeah, who am I to say? I love that interchange there. But even when he's talking to him after he's trapped for that little bit, he still doesn't recognize it. Like nobody actually looks at it and goes, "How are you wielding? Like, why do you have that?" Like, obviously, the people in um, the main area, whenever he gets sent to New or to London, that's not. Like that's gonna be no, isn't he in London during that first one? No, because London gets destroyed while he's there. London gets destroyed. He gets blown back into New York. Okay, so it's New York because that he's in the Bleecker Street uh, sanctum in New York City because that's where the the whole mirror universe thing takes place is New York City. Okay, yeah, and so there would have been a very different skyline. Right, right. um, the fractal, imagery. but even whenever he, you know, whenever he's there, obviously he's a background character for, you know, whatever reason. Nobody's in there whenever he first shows up, um, but nobody because of that, nobody ever stops and goes like, "Dude, why?" And nobody, nobody recognizes the eye. Just the people that were there at the moment, kind of going, "Dude, you shouldn't be fucking with this stuff." Yeah, that that's my only complaint with the movie is that. For somebody who was supposed to be the star pupil, he still he it's just ignored and as a part of dialogue yeah. or as a part of any plot point. Yeah, well, maybe, but like that was the thing is maybe that was one of those things that was there, but then it confused people, and so they cut it out because it was market tested. And someone was like, "I don't understand why what?" Yeah, oh. well, I'm, they my, took it out. 
my goal isn't to. Whenever I look at stuff, I don't think about the market testing. I go, okay, well, that's well, that's that's with how the film this is. size of a movie. I can't yeah. not think about it. I can't think not. I can't think not think about why some movies have shitty ideas in them. <laughs> yeah, just a difference in uh, thought process. Because as I said, that's yeah. that's a big thing. Like the moment that they sat, you know, started talking. Like if it had just been them fighting, wouldn't have had a problem with it. Yeah. But they have two extended dialogue sequences yeah. in New York only that you're just like, okay, cool. Why is nobody like, that's a very prominent thing on his chest. Yeah. He doesn't use it because he doesn't, you know, he's only used it once. but Because yeah. he doesn't even fully understand it in a lot of ways. Right. So that, that was my only uh, complaint with that one. So past Doctor Strange, what have you been consuming? Um, so... The the biggest thing that uh, I have seen um, is a little tiny movie called Arrival. Okay. The new Denis Villeneuve. Uh, I will probably I'm probably going to skip a lot of spoilers just because you haven't seen it, and if you haven't seen Arrival, it's worth not having it spoiled for you. Right, right. Kind of like I was with uh, all the pretty... Th- I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Yeah. So, uh, the biggest thing is, like, uh, it's another um, collaboration between the same composer, uh, Johan Johansson. Um, he did Sicario, and I do believe he did Enemy, if I remember correctly. But it stars Amy Adams. Uh, Jeremy Renner is also in it, as well as Forrest Whitaker. So, Forrest Whitaker is in two movies. You know, two pretty big wide release movies in a year, which hasn't happened in a while. <laughs> and Amy Adams has the Nocturnal Animals movie coming out that I've heard is really gonna is really good as well. Uh, the biggest thing is, um, talk about a movie that is a masterclass in great filmmaking. There are a few movies right now today, uh, that are this well told, that are this well shot better this well orchestrated and there aren't as many like holes in the ideas you know there's not as uh the main thing is the fact that you know aliens have come to earth that's the big idea uh, but the the idea of changes over the course of the film um, it's mostly about a linguist that amy adams plays who is charged with basically the ply is she's charged with the task of translating an alien language that she has no point of reference for always fun uh so here's a person who their whole time the whole time they're in the movie they're having to use their intelligence they're having to use their the power of their mind the power ability of their know-how and their smarts drive the plot it's uh based on a novella by ted chiang uh called the story of your life i've never read it but I'm definitely going to read it now. (laughs) I had never even heard of it until I saw the movie. But um, the interesting thing is, is there is uh, the screenwriter has uh, written some uh, screenplays that might not exactly make you want to go see this movie. Oh, goody. Uh, He did the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. He did Final Destination 5. He did the Thing prequel. He also did Hours, Lights Out, the full... Uh, which Hours? Uh, I don't know. I just know. Not the Hours, just Hours. Okay, so the um, 
what's his fuck the guy from Fast and the Furious? Probably. I'm yeah. not sure. So Paul Justin, Walker. Oh, Paul Walker. Okay. Yeah, because uh, the hours there was a lot of stuff I liked about it, but you know, yeah. so that that would actually get me there. Like the thing they actually do. The one thing I like about the thing 2011 remake it, or prequel remake whatever is that instead of the blood tests, they do fillings because the thing cannot create an organic material. Yeah, that's smart. Like it's a it's a good twist on the plot where they're essentially doing the same thing with similar roles but instead of the blood test they come up with oh hey cool if you have any metal in your teeth like you're obviously human (laughs) which is smart um but the thing is this movie is smart as fuck so if you even if you didn't like these movies you should give the this this is one of those moments where you can see that maybe the screenwriter is better than the movies that he's written. <laughs> he just didn't have the source material or the ideas to play with that are in this this story, you know, this adaptation. Um, but uh, it's it's amazingly well shot. Um, Bradford uh, Young, I think I might have wrote this down wrong, but uh, he did Selma. Uh, a most violent year. Nice. The, one of my favorites. Pawn Sacrifice, which I still haven't seen. And he's actually shooting the Han Solo prequel. The Star Wars Han Solo prequel. So that kind of gives me more more hope. Uh but the the idea the the main idea that's in the story and is in the movie is there's this idea called the Sapper Wharf hypothesis, where uh, the language that you speak in and you that you learn in affects how you think and affects how you perceive the world. And that very much plays into the plot and ideas of the plot. And it's uh, the aliens look great. They're not what you expect, even from what little you see in the, the main trailer. If you have seen the trailer, they... I've avoided everything I can. And, uh, uh, wow. Like, talk about... For anyone that liked interstellar but thought that it got hokey or became just spectacle this movie never goes hokey and it never becomes more than spectacle so if you liked interstellar but you had problems with it you should go see arrival and be like oh this is a really good well really well thought out sci-fi movie okay um do you want to round robin yeah um so i tripped across like i've heard about it and i was like man i need to watch this um but i didn't actually realize its connections uh the people versus oj simpson okay american crime story made by the same people who make american horror story and glee (laughs) it will be an anthology series very similar to american horror story where every season deals with a different american crime yes so 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 if we're gonna get a new in cold blood that's probably where it's gonna happen Possibly the uh, second season is going to be about Katrina and the aftermath of that. Interesting. So the first season actually has Sarah Paulson in it. Um, Cooper Gooding Jr. is playing O.J. Simpson. It's about the 1995 trial. And is like John Travolta one of the lawyers? Uh, Yeah, he's uh, Robert Shapiro. Yeah. Yeah. I saw bits and pieces of it because someone had it on at the pizza place I worked at while it was on initially. And like, so I saw, I would see random scenes. Yeah, it's it's honestly really good. There's a couple of I've heard that the documentary that uh came out around the same time. Uh, I'm trying to 
it's like a 10 hour documentary they did on ESPN is okay. also really good. Okay. Um well this is this is definitely a dramatization of it. it it's kind of interesting cuz the uh one of the characters is a black lawyer who ends up like he kind of works in the dungeon taking police to task for everything and he eventually becomes the lead prosecutor or lead second chair um, on there and they had such a hard time casting him because a lot of the black actors absolutely hated him (laughs) right like that sort of thing you have that connection of like no Right. And you want to play that guy? Uh-uh, I'm out of here. Exactly. And, <laughs> and they do a really good job. Um, part of the secret to the way Cuba Gooding Jr. plays it is that they basically filmed every scene he was in twice. One where he played it innocent and one where he played it guilty. Oh, okay. And then he let the editors choose which take they went with. So you could really create ambiguity. Right. They never go in and say whether or not he's guilty or innocent. It's literally both sides of the table going okay we're gonna do this okay we're gonna do this like nathan lane is in it as a serious um attorney like like, (laughs) i would not have expected that exactly like it's worth watching totally you know if you get a chance at it like really well done there's a couple of actors that chew the scenery like nothing else and you kind of go i'm glad they only have that one scene in the entire movie entire 10 episodes i don't know some of those characters man like they chewed the scenery scenery in real life well no i'm I'm talking about um ronald goldman's dad when he shows up and well i did you see i remember some of the interviews with him he was freaking out right and that's kind of that was my baby boy he was stabbed in the face and in the neck and in the chest and he kept stabbing him even after he was dead like everybody's forgetting that he's a part of this like that's how like over the top he is it it all it's just below exquisite acting yeah yeah just one of those where you're just like (laughs) it's it's uh, not bad enough that it yeah goes into bliss yeah please do not let this guy be any more part of this and he's not and that's the best thing about it um but it's seriously like the you know the if the glove does not fit you must acquit like you know that's coming that's one of the infamous lines from the it's, trial it's almost the midpoint of the series i would think it is it is because that's the big turn is when he tr- uh when he puts on the gloves right and that's the whole thing is that the the prosecuting attorney that goes for it is wanting to do it he's being shut down by the lead female attorney uh, um, what's her name maria i believe it's something or something like that um but it's played by sarah paulson mm-hmm. um he's being shut down by her and then during their break, Robert Shapiro, played by John Travolta, sees the gloves and tries them on and goes, oh, there's no way this is going to fit. And while they're in the break, he talks to all his lawyers and, you know, all of, and OJ and everything like, yeah, let's, let's get them, let's try on the gloves. Like, well, how can we, how can we get, you know, bring this up? Because obviously this is a big play for us. There's no way these are going to fit. Marsha Clark. Marsha. There you go. And um, they go, no, what we do is we get them to suggest it and while they're doing that like nathan lane comes up to the lead um male interrogator or the prosecutor and goes if you don't call him up i'm going to like you're gonna let her talk down to you cool whatever (laughs) and walks off and then he gets him to do it and that's like oh shit we're gonna have to come back for this aren't we 
So they do a good job about balancing the two sides like you're not sure who you should be rooting for. The only thing I don't like about it is that they totally play up the Kardashian connection. Oh, yeah. Because uh, David Schwimmer plays uh, the Kardashian father who was uh, OJ's best friend. So he's a big part of the series, and there's even times where they show... Robert Kardashian. Yeah, they show... But they show Kim Kardashian and Chloe and them as kids, you know. Well, when pop culture hasn't moved on, it's kind of hard to... Yeah, so it shows them as kids. And, bring the link up. And uh, Shapiro is like, oh, here's this letter, and you have Robert um, there, and they're like, oh, what is it, this, and... You know, they mispronounce the last name and then it cuts to Kim and Chloe and all them. And I don't even remember what the other sister's name is. Um, I don't know. But it's a no, it's Kardashian. K A R D E I. You know, go like, <laughs> you know, it's one of those that you're just like, <sighs> uh, Selma Blair plays uh, Kylie Jenner, the mother. Like, you're just like, oh no, Kylie's the, the other daughter. I'm not sure about that one. But uh, Chris Jenner. Is Chris Jenner, that's Sorry. what I'm talking about. Yeah, so it's Kylie. I was like, as soon as you said Kylie, I was like, oh yeah, that's the other sister. Yeah, so Chris. Chris, <laughs> Chris Jenner, Selma Blair plays her. Wow. With David Schwimmer as her, as uh, OJ's best friend slash attorney, you know, all that stuff. So it's really, really good. Um, except for a few bits. Like, I literally watched the first seven episodes in one night and then finished the last three the next night. Well, you got you got sucked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they, it is very real for us, and we do like those uh, those things that are based on true events a lot of times. Yeah, and also, you know, for me, I was what nine at the time, but remembering what James Ito looked like and yeah, well, and also just like it was kind of a lo- it loomed large. Yeah, you know, in the early nineties of pop culture. The the one major thing that I did like about it. And I remember, um, I think it was on VH1, but it may have been on something else where they were talking about the trial, is that when OJ was um, acquitted, that all the all the black celebrities and all the black people, like all the white people turned to them. <laughs> like, How do you feel? You know, it was just one of the, like, the hateful stare, kind of like what we're going on right now. Yeah. But they're like, I have never felt more black than I did in that moment. Wow. Like, and they play with that where the lead black uh, prosecuting attorney, whatever, you know, that he's given everybody else is white, you know, white male, white female, and people aren't willing to look at him in the face. And whenever the white people are in the same elevators as the black people, they will not, like, nobody speaks and everybody's super uncomfortable. Like, it def- they, they don't directly say, like, man, you know, black people, <sighs> There, there's a few lines where it's like you, did, you did not want, you wanted a black man on the, at the table, but you didn't want my voice. There's a little bit of that, but yeah. there's nothing that just is like. Which I mean, when you go, when you remember like the kind of police corruption and, and the racism of LAPD at the time, you can't get away from it because I mean, thinking about uh, the Rodney King tape that... plays into the whole OJ the la riots all that stuff plays so deeply into oj you know (laughs) and there's another recent documentary that also very much called to mind oj 
which was the making a murderer with Stephen Avery. Yeah. Because that's the only other time that the blood evidence was brought into, along with this huge big conspiracy about the police force planting all this evidence and then trying to do the dating on the blood to figure out if it was planted or not. And that's, those are the only two times that the FBI has ever stepped in (laughs) to try and prove it. Wow. You know, so it it was it was good as I like Cuba Gooding Jr. did a good job. Just about everybody, even like John Travolta, it was kind of weird watching that and then going to watch the uh, Grease review or analysis from um, <laughs> so Shay Lindsay and just kind of go, "Wow, forty years later, this is what he's doing and how like plastic he looks and you know." Yeah, but that's part of pulling the Bob Shapiro thing. Well, it's also just like. 40 years later, he's had so many ups and downs and ins and outs of his career. And, right, right, right. And then the whole sci- throw the whole Scientology thing on top of that with all the stuff from going clear where you find out that basically he's just, he's a wreck. You know, he's just trying to hold on to his life. And right. Scientology won't let him go. <laughs> you know, as you do. Uh, so what else have you been consuming? Um, so I watched... Uh, not really a companion piece, but uh, a uh, a good movie to watch after you watch something like Doctor Strange. Watch a little movie called Holy Mountain. Oh, Holy Mountain. <laughs> and uh, it is probably one of the most fa- phantasmagorical experiences I've ever had watching a film. Every shot is like surrealist tarot. <laughs> like they're dense, they're baroque, you know, and they're... Uh, I can definitely tell... Like, this movie had reverberations. Like, it has been a huge influence on cinema. Just about all uh, Yodorovsky's movies have yeah. been. But, I mean, I can see more of the rever. Like, watching the movie, I was like, holy shit, George Miller loved this movie. Because there's so many shots. So I was like, that Mad Max, Mad Max Fury Road, Road Warrior, this had. Like, even if you saw it once, you know, it's just like, it. it was in your head after you watched it. You know, right. Those images are just. I do see having watched mo. I I started El Topo one night. I didn't have enough time to finish it, and I haven't gone. I need to start it again. There's a lot more dialogue in El Topo compared to Holy Mountain. There's such a minimal amount of dialogue. Like for the if first I, thirty minutes, there's no not like not a single spoken actual word. Yeah. the The thing with El Topo is is the first half of it where you know he's hunting down the different people has a lot of dialogue and if i remember right the second half has like almost none yeah it's more of the first half of um holy mountain with with all the imagery and all the weirdness uh and like uh can i just say if you want to watch a movie that will literally if you want to be wowed by cinema and you're like bored watching movies watch holy mountain you're not bored. <laughs> you're, you're definitely not bored. You, If you're bored watching Holy Mountain, you are broken. You're broken as a person. <laughs> so do you know who was supposed to play um, the lead character originally? Uh, no. George Harrison. That, that makes sense because he looks more like uh, the traditional European image of Jesus. Yeah. So, so. It, it was supposed to be George from the Beatles. Yeah, because Yoko Ono and uh, John Lennon put up a shit ton of money, and so did the the guy who, the manager of the Beatles, put up a bunch of money. Right, but George did not want to have his anus washed 
um, on, on camera. screen on camera, <laughs> and Yodorovsky was very adamant that we had to have that shot. <laughs> Ritualistic ass watching. Yes. Hey, yeah, I will admit that ass had been a lot of places. It, that asshole needed washed. <laughs> so, um, and later on, Yodorovsky went. I, pro- I I probably screwed myself when it came to that. Like I sh- I should have bent to George and it, it fits for one shot. I mean, yeah. I mean, and that shot's like not fundamentally important to the narrative. But you what know. are you talking about? The entire film revolves around that one shot. <laughs> I've watched it thirty, forty times just to analyze. Like just you, you, you zoomed in on that asshole. Yeah, just. <laughs> <laughs> Two hundred percent magnification. I wonder if anybody's on loop uh, sent that shot to Kevin Smith for Andy. He's just butthole. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess that that's what we need to do. Apparently, holy man. Um, so the biggest thing is, uh, it's if you're tired of movies that explain everything, this is the movie for you. <laughs> if you're tired of movies where you can predict what's going to happen, this is the movie for you. If you're tired of movies that don't have some sort of deep blasphemous imagery, this is the movie for you. <laughs> it's all the things. So there's the the shot where he like wakes up after he's been cast in a mold. And yeah. There's hundreds of Christs around him and he's just smashing these life-sized crucifixes. That one he one of them which he like starts smashing the face and it becomes like cake or bread and he starts eating it. I, was like, uh, I believe they were all made out of potatoes. If I no, remember right. No, the shot very clearly, like it's very clearly bread or cake. You know, it's, I don't care what they say. I've, I've spent too many years in kitchens. I know what fucking cake looks like versus potatoes. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to remember what they, I think it like I always got the impression of potato, yeah. like how they made all well, that stuff. Uh, well, a bunch of the stuff are paper mache. I mean, right, so right, right, paper mache objects in this. Uh, I I wrote down uh, allegorical metaphysical dream narrative about al- alchemical transubstantiation of humanity as the, the that's the plot of the movie. Uh, <laughs> um. They literally turn shit into gold. Hey, you can polish that turd. Pol- uh, yeah, as has been proven on Mythbusters, you can uh, you can polish a turd. Toast to that. All right. Uh, you know, I wrote each image was a dense and baroque in its tarot tarot like surrealism. If you're not familiar with tarot cards, go out of your way. Look up the Rider Waite. Look up the book, uh, the Book of Thoth deck. Uh, look up a bunch of modern stuff. They're filled with images. They're filled with associations. Uh, and like that's kind of the fundamental aspect of this. Uh, two things that I discovered. Uh, did you know that this movie is slightly an adaptation? Really? Yes. So there are two primary sources. Now it's not really a direct adaptation because it's Jodorowsky. I don't know if he could do a direct adaptation of anything. Uh, he did two kids films. Or one's a kids film, one is a studio film both of which he disavows tusk and something else that i can't think of what it is one was 1980 something one was 1990 he both disavows he disavows both of them uh but the source sources are uh ascent of mount carmel by john of the cross who was a 
Spanish um, uh, Spanish Jewish descent monk, or his family was Jewish descent, but he was Spanish as well. And uh, he's actually he wrote a poem called "The Dark Knight" in N I G H T, not Dark Knight, obviously, but where he talks about the dark night of the soul. And the term dark night of the soul comes from John of the Cross's writing. So if you ever heard that in poetry or in writing classes, the dark night of the soul is a direct. That term actually goes back to a poem John of the Cross wrote. But Ascent of Mount Carmel starts out as, it has a short poem, and then it starts analyzing the poem, and then it slowly becomes some weird treatise <laughs> about dealing with spirituality. Um, and then the other source is a surrealist novel called Mount Analog by Rene Damel. Um, Rene Damel died when he was 36. He died having, unf- having finished one novel and having his second novel, Mount Analog, unfinished. So we have an incomplete narrative, but it's about, you know, ascending a mountain basically for spiritual reasons. And it's told in a highly bizarre and surreal manner. So it's a direct influence on Holy Mountain. And uh, the third adaptation was called uh, Psilocybin and LSD. (laughs) (laughs) Called Doing Lots of Meditation, Studying the I Ching, Reading Old Natural History and Natural Philosophy Texts with Lots of Crazy Images, uh, Lots of Allegorical Images, and Taking a Shit Ton of Psilocybin and LSD. The... uh, there's the scene all of the actors have been dosed with lsd uh where he's reciting over them and like they're like rubbing the ash on each other's faces on the stairs like they're completely tripping out on lsd well um the very opening scene with the two girls getting their heads shaved yeah that's all on lsd that's a big thing about el topo as well is that everybody was dosed yeah, everybody was taking lots of drugs. There was lots of magic, <laughs> lots of occultism going on. But uh, if you uh, were intrigued by uh, the surrealist imagery of Doctor Strange, uh, and you really want to see how far, and this is with practical effects, how far a practical effects film can be pushed, watch Holy Mouth. Holy fucking shit. Like, just amazing. Right. Yeah. Don't expect it to make a whole lot of sense in the way you normally expect a movie to make sense. They expect it to make sense poetically and, and by association. It's very much... Talk about a movie that uses Eisenstein's theory to its limit, you know, where you have one shot from shot to shot, the 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 thesis, antithesis, and, and thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. I mean... It's a whole film about that. <laughs> Taking one thing, shoving it with another thing, and getting another. So the one thing I would totally recommend is um, Blacklight Burns is a music group. It is actually, the, the lead singer of it is Wes Borland, that really weird fuck from Limp Biscuit. Who wore all the costumes. And, and big contacts, all that stuff. He ended up having his own band called Blacklight Burns. Their last album was called Lotus Island, which is a 40-minute long re-scoring um, of Holy Mountain. So what you do is you throw on Holy Mountain, and you throw on their track, or their album, 
and it syncs up perfectly for the first 40 minutes of the movie, which is up to the him um, turning shit into gold. Yeah. So it's right before it takes the turn to where you're introduced to all the different people. Yeah, all the different planet people. Right. Rulers of different houses of the planets. Right. And so I'm... Talk about I, bizarro fiction. Like, this is... This is proto bizarro fiction, like how the limits of the medium are not concerned. No one is concerned with the limits of it, you know. So, uh, how about that ending? That, uh, I don't want to ruin the ending because the ending totally took me by surprise. Uh, uh, it's not a twist, but I was not expecting it. I was not expecting it at all. Um, brings to mind a certain other movie with a very similar ending that may have may or may not have involved terry gilliam oh oh yeah 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 it does it did involve terry gilliam but it was it wasn't i i know it involved terry gilliam i'm just terry coy uh yeah terry uh terry uh what was a co-director he was a co-director but i'm saying like i can't remember his name right now the other terry of monty python it does recall a moment like that yeah yeah Except not funny. It's not played for laughs. No, it's just... There are moments that are really funny. Some of the edits really jar you because they're so intense and you don't expect them to happen. That they, But also, knowing Yoder from Yodorowsky is listening to him talk, and especially, like, he spent, what, 10 years in Paris under Marcel Marceau producing completely silent plays? I can totally see, like... Humor was supposed to be a part of this, despite how serious and brutal sometimes. There's some very satirical images in this. Uh, be prepared for all types of subject matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I absolutely love it. I mean, so I, I have a complicated relationship with Yodorovsky because I absolutely hate the second half of El Topo. Um, I really like the first half. In fact, my book... <laughs> is essentially the same idea. Just <laughs> not in a desert with people tripping on LSD and killing bunnies. Yeah. So it's a little different. A little bit, but kind of same thing, hunting down the gods so that you can, you know, all that stuff. And I like I like Holy Mountain. I've only actually watched the full thing once, but I've watched the first 40 minutes like 12 times. I, I could see how it will be difficult. Because there were like four of us, and we started it pretty early. We started at like eleven o'clock in the in the morning. <laughs> it was daylight out when we were watching Holy Mountain. Uh but like Yeah, like I, I just kinda jumped back through it and went, Oh, I don't remember some of this imagery. I like I remember yeah. parts of it. You but... should almost start if it, it if you have trouble getting through the first forty minutes, you should almost start when you get to the alchemist. I was gonna say now the first watch. first forty minutes is awesome, the, the, but the, I don't know, man. It's the turn afterwards that kind of made me go. I'm not really. I'm I don't really know care. The, the the but seeing the different houses of the different planets was really fascinating. There were some great shots, some great like practical effects. Now supposedly the budget for this movie was only one million dollars. Bullshit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Now, I will accept the fact that it was not shot in America. So, potentially, there was I mean, a lot of labor. It, it, does, it does also call to, mi- call to mind a lot of Tarsum. Yeah. 
I was actually going to say, this movie, if you love The Fall, uh-huh. this is this is the prequel <laughs> that you didn't know existed <laughs> that wasn't even shot by the same director. Uh, yeah, because the big thing about this is that it's... Um, lots of natural locations. Exactly. And lots that- of real locations. Lots of real places. But also fucking tons of props hundreds of thousands of props sometimes so the thing that makes holy mountain infamous and i'm really surprised that you haven't mentioned this and this is the re- this is how it was pitched to me to watch this was the uh full-on recreation of conquistadors oh well I, yeah i was gonna say that I, I want people to be completely shocked by, by that moment because I had no idea it was coming. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there is a recreation of what is called the Conquest of Mexico uh, uh, in the movie that it uses no people. No people. No people. And animals may or may not have been harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> yeah. Um... If you're... If you have... Uh, Laws were different in the 70s, and it was not made in this country. Right. So remember that while watching it sometimes. Yeah. Um, but he, um, Jodorowsky also did uh, Santa Sangria. Which I haven't seen yet. Um, it was on Netflix for a while. You might check yeah. there. Uh, no, it wasn't back yet. Okay. Um, and also, he, he has a more recent movie called The Dance of Reality that I want to see. 2013. So... There's also a documentary called Yodorovsky's Dune. Which we've talked about. We have. And like once you've seen what Yodorovsky does, knowing how crazy his Dune would have been and how much the stuff he did has influenced everything. One of and one of my film favorite filmmakers too is like Peter Greenaway. Talk about like Peter Greenaway is also one of those people. It's like super worships that Baroque dense complex layered multifaceted imagery where like there are sometimes hundreds of extras in a scene there are sometimes hundreds of props perfectly precisely placed for a shot that lasts five seconds right and yeah just the level of filmmaking that can be achieved by some filmmakers it's we're gonna have to like move to another country to make this type of movie (laughs) make these type of movies again you know Right. So um the one of the other things that I ended up watching was Ash versus the Evil Dead. I I've seen half the first season. Okay. I I I really loved what I saw, but I I got off of it and I haven't jumped back on. Well, it's definitely one of those that like uh, it's more I, Evil Dead 2. It it definitely is. The interesting thing is that they blend both Evil Dead 1 and 2. The second season is currently, you know, still showing. And apparently between seasons one and two, they got the rights to actually reference Army of Darkness. Awesome. So in season one, he has gone through Army of Darkness, but he can't reference it. Like, there's nothing he can say about him going to medieval times, fighting demons, and coming back to modern day. The only time he ever makes a reference to it is later on when an evil Ash shows up. Oh. And spoilers he ends up cutting up the evil ash and going you know uh cutting up a copy of my own body don't know if i'll ever get used to this you know like that (laughs) sort of thing 
And that's the only other than there being an evil Ash version and him saying, you know, inferring that he's done it before. That's the only reference to evil or to Army of Darkness in the first season. But in the second season, they got the rights back. So they start adding that. So they had enough money to go pay for the rights to. Yeah, it was just it was more one of those things that. um, Well, I mean, the the stars was probably like we will we will get the fucking rights. (laughs) Yeah, they were trying to, but just hadn't like it could not get taking longer than they wanted to do. Yeah, couldn't get the permission, so they're just like fuck it. Primarily, it's season one storyline, but they layer in season two, like with him cutting off his hand and all that stuff. Um, the thing I absolutely love about it from the first episode is that it's 30 years after Evil Dead 2. Bruce Campbell is Bruce Campbell, you know, yeah. macking on everybody. And he realizes... Still driving that same shitty car. Same shitty car. Working at Value Mart instead of S-Mart. But, um, you know, womanizer, all that good stuff. But he realizes that he read through the Book of the Dead and re- unleashed the demons while he was high off his ass trying to impress a woman. <laughs> like, that's one of the Being things. Being an, an absolute idiot reading from the book of the... Oh, yeah, th- this will <laughs> this will change your life. Like, that sort of thing. It's like, oh, it's so good just knowing kind of what Bruce Campbell has come over, become over the years, what you expect from him as Bruce Campbell, and then also playing into that, yeah, this would totally be Ash 30 years later. Yeah. Like, Ash is never going to grow up. He's still going to do the same stupid bullshit. <laughs> exactly. So that that's one of the things I absolutely love about this is... Well, in that first that that episode, did Sam Remy come back and direct the... He directed only the first episode. Just the first episode. Yeah, but he's um producer, so is his brother, so is... um why well, Maybe his brother, I'm not sure. Maybe son. But... um. And Ted, then, Ted Remy? No, it's uh, like Ivan or something oh, like that. I'm not sure. And then um, Bruce Campbell's also a producer on it. In that first episode, I was like, oh, Sam Raimi's brought, like, Sam Raimi made a new Evil Dead. <laughs> like, Yeah, made the first hour of an Evil Dead in there. The one thing that they're missing through the whole se- season, like, I just finished it before you guys came over, um, is the vomiting blood. Like, that's missing through the whole thing. That's maybe they're leading. I don't know the more one of the more the last two episodes of season two, which I haven't got to. I've just finished season one. Is that they're playing with the idea that the Deadites don't actually exist, and that Bruce Campbell went insane thirty years ago and killed his four friends in the cabin, and ever since has been in an insane asylum. Well, so it's like, is he really ashy slashy, or you know, do are the dead you know? Do the Deadites not exist? Yeah, and he's an Indian fighter pilot. You know, that sort of thing. So I'm actually surprised it took them to the to the middle of season two for them to go, what if he went insane instead? Like, that seems like that is a little bit late in the game, but who knows? Yeah, but I mean, the, you don't want the first season to lead off with that. You don't. Um, and apparently... The first season is what they expected Evil Dead 4 to be. So they used whatever script Sam Raimi had done. Right. Like, the whole idea, like, the outline. it just got built up so much over the years that they just went, fuck it, let's make it a TV series. Well, and seeing as how 
TV has radically changed. Because, I mean, Stars is, I mean, even in the first episode, there's some brutal shit. You that know? that was kind of my thing is like whenever they go into whenever the cops go into the house I was kind of like okay this is shot like this looks like a TV movie instead of a yeah but that's also just probably the the money that they have on the pilot movie, yeah. yeah and but then they start doing the shots I'm like this feels like it's Sam Raimi looked it up it is Sam Raimi for the first episode I'm like shit okay cool like let's do this thing and then after that I went. Okay, like I wasn't sure they were going to be able to recreate that feel that because Sam Raimi has a very definite feel whenever he's doing horror. Yeah, and they did, and it's really, really and good. They, they even the first because I saw they were like episode five, I think, of the first season, five mm-hmm. or six, and like even the other directors were definitely very much trying to make sure they kept some of those swooping. The now they can't do his exact techniques and stuff because i mean it's sam raimi but but they kept a lot of the visual style yeah. well and just those swooping in dolly shots and the, and the also the way they framed the shots like whenever somebody was being thrown across or you know like being at the point of view of where the blood is dripping off of whatever killed the person into a long or, shot or, or having that like shot where it's like here's this really nasty practical effect we're gonna give you here you go Here's here's how disgusting this looks. Right, Doesn't right. this look disgusting? Don't you just love it? <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It does. It does an awesome job recreating Evil Dead, um, expanding on it, and kind of playing with. Doesn't didn't Lucy Lawless become a cast member at some point during? Oh, she's season? she's in every episode. Okay, because I, I I remember like she was listed on the cast and like I only remember seeing her in like two episodes until like. A couple of episodes later, she showed back up, and yeah, somewhere the, around there. Is the, where the funniest thing, off. the funniest thing was there was an episode where she um, shows up naked, but it's obviously a body double because it's shot from the side and far away. You never see her face, and then it's close-ups on her face. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, I understand why you're doing that. It's just it. I can as respect some, you. Yeah, as well as somebody who, you know understands film and pays close attention to stuff like that was just like okay yeah that's a body double cool like whatever you can do whatever you want to do yeah no big deal it's 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 one of the there's a part it would have been right around the time that you dropped out of it but ash gets thrown over a countertop and you don't see his face you're like okay that's the stunt double and but it's one shot and it then pans to the ground where he, bruce campbell's crawling out from behind there, bloodied from what happened. And you're like, I, I see what you did there with the camera. <laughs> I like, got you. He was hiding behind the camera and started crawling out as soon as the other person hit the Landed, thing. Yeah. So, like, I understand your film technique. Other people may not notice it, but I got you. I've just seen Evil Dead 2 <laughs> and Army of Darkness so many times. Right. <laughs> At this point. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah. Did they ever reincorporate the tree rape scene? They they don't, at least not in the first season. Um, or just physical they, plants or anything coming to life. They don't. Um, that that is. They kind of abandoned that too in Army of Darkness. So yeah, but um, the remake definitely had it, and it, it goes a different direction with all the demons and stuff like that. The one thing I didn't realize is that Mimi Rogers. Um, is the mother in episode two? Wow, that 
gets possessed and all that stuff. So there's lots of Easter eggs. So what you're saying? Yeah, it was one of those. Like I was reading through the trivia after I finished it. I was like, like, oh yeah, they um, Mimi Rogers had just hurt her back, but still went through all the studs playing this person's mother. I was like, what? Oh, why? Me? That was Mimi Rogers. <laughs> okay. You couldn't even tell. Yeah, like she's so buried in makeup. But but it's also been so long. Like she plays her. She plays a normal. I know, but I'm saying doing the stunts and stuff. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, as an actress, it had been since, like, 2004 since I've seen her. And so, 12 years later, going, wow, I didn't realize that was Mimi Rogers. Like, I guess I have to go rewatch that episode and go, oh, shit, like, yeah, totally, I see it now. But even kind of thinking back on it, I'm like, how was that her? Well, uh, it's just, it's also just one of those, time. Time does interesting things to people. Right. Um... But for the last three or four episodes, they go back to the cabin. Obviously, it's not the same cabin because that burned down. But I was actually interested whether or not they use the same cabin that was in the remake or not. I'm on, I honestly don't know. But it, well, or the cabin and cabin in the woods, right? You know, yeah. It there's it, there's two options. There's three options really because there's also the one in uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil that has. Yeah, and they they Similar can do kind of design and stuff. Yeah, everybody, ha- you know, those type Which of cameras like, are dime, dime a dozen sort of thing. But. Well, if you like Evil Dead, you should definitely check out Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Oh yeah, and that, that's it. an awesome one. And I think we talked about it last year, probably because yeah. I think that's when I saw it for the first time. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> this is amazing. So yeah, um, so Nathan, what's the last thing you've been consuming? Um, so the last thing, sorry. The last thing that I've been consuming, and uh, no spoilers, just because I know you haven't seen any of it, but Westworld. Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, um, they are a married couple. They, obviously Jonathan Nolan, famous for being a Nolan brother. Wait, who's this Jonathan Nolan guy? <laughs> uh, slow burn. Total slow burn. The first episode is actually a perfect film. Like, you could just watch the hour-long pilot mm-hmm. and be like, that was a great re- that was a That was a really good reboot of Westworld. That was a very imaginative. Had lots of ideas. Doesn't over-explain stuff. Gives you a nice beginning and nice opening, closing image. Very self-contained in its creation. And for three episodes, it's like, okay, we're really... We're, we're building on stuff, slowly but truly. And episode five is... Where the much rumored about orgy scene? Well, it's not really that. No, 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 no. But uh, it starts ramping up, and I've heard that episode. I haven't watched episode six or seven yet. I've made it through episode five, and I've heard that episode six turns everything on its head. Episode seven starts revealing stuff that's been rumored possible but uh that that that's my honestly that's my biggest thing is like i want to like sign up for hbo now don't have that much money to throw around but the first month is free and i'm like okay cool i can watch game of thrones season six or whatever the latest yeah, one was season six. season six cool i can finish that wait now it's now on dvd cool i can watch silicon valley season three i was super excited about that and then westworld started coming out it's like man like finish 
finish Westworld and then I'll sign up because then I can watch all three seasons super <laughs> quick within a month and then cancel it. Uh, but yeah, oh man, oh man. Um, and then uh, I think it was episode four. I texted you and I was like, uh, I just noticed Edward Baker is listed as a producer, co-wrote this episode, and Vincenzo Natale, who we talked about at length last. <laughs> last uh, is one of the directors and I was like uh 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 oh <laughs> I was like apparently somehow I missed Ed Brubinger's name in the credits before but whole, holy shit um it's not for everybody but apparently it's been the first time in a long time that a series has grown in viewership to the point that it is beating The Walking Dead there you go so uh if that tells you anything, there's a lot of people who are on this bandwagon. There's a lot of great actors. Just holy shit. You have Tandy Newton. You have Anthony Hopkins. You have Jeffrey Wright. You have uh, Ed Harris. You have, I mean, character actors galore. Uh, How's Amber Heard doing? She's not in it. Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood. She's, she's really good. Okay. She's She plays... One of the main leads, James Marsden, plays a lead. It's the first time I've like enjoyed a James Marsden performance that I can think of. See, because for me, Evan Rachel Wood is the worst. She's really good at this. Okay. She's really good. Like True Blood was awful once she showed up. Like there, there. I don't honestly cannot think of something I've actually liked her in. The she's really good in this. She's okay. really good. Well, it's kind of um. Well, also because I mean. You gotta remember that, like, she's also playing a certain type of creature, you know? Right. Like, then this is no, this isn't really spoilers because you find out in the first five minutes of the first episode, but she's one of the, of the hosts, one of the androids. What? 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 So, um, there's just, but yeah, if you, knowing how big you are on character actors, as much as we've been on, on this podcast, right? You will be like. That person's in this. Oh god! That person's in this. That person's in this. I mean, holy shit! You remember the guy who plays the villain in The Crow? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He plays a Buffalo Bill Coyote guy. Nice. I when I he's in the first episode, and I was like, I haven't seen this guy in a movie in a long time. Yeah, I was gonna say, haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, (laughs) but I knew who it was. I was like, it's him. It's the guy who played. (laughs) A random European-based bad guy in so many movies. Right, right, right. Like, I remember loving his performances and a lot of stuff. And he's not very... He doesn't feature a whole lot in the series. But it's like... It's one of those things. There's just so many character actors. So many. So many. You're going to be like... You're going to be like... You know, it's just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I guess it just depends on what's coming out next. That because HBO's done a good job with like hooking series after series after series. You yeah. know, it's kind of like uh, Finding Dory just came out. Okay, so speaking of rumored series that are possibly happening, so did you have you heard what Carrie Fukunaga is possibly doing now? No, I haven't. Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon script. Okay. They're doing it as an HBO mini with Steven Spielberg producing. Nice. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Right, right, right. If it falls apart, whatever. But holy shit, I can't believe they're even trying to do it. So does that mean we get Yodorowsky's Dune next? (laughs) 
I mean, honestly, I would love spend to see $170 million or two or $300 million on a Yodorowsky's Dune made now. Like, take all, just take the fucking documentary take. He's still alive. Yeah. He's still alive. Even if you don't want him to direct it, have him as the lead executive producer. He's in charge. Because, I mean, if he's the showrunner, he's in charge. Right, right. So even if you don't want him to direct it because you're worried about it going way over budget, <laughs> like just make him the fucking showrunner and make someone else a co-showrunner that you trust. Right, right. Put yeah. Jonathan Nolan on it after watching Westworld. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely have to check out Westworld once it's done. Yeah. And or I mean, even take the Game of Thrones guys once Game of Thrones is over. Do Yodorowsky's Dune. Do a three hour or just do the Meta Barons. Don't even do the just take the Meta Barons. I mean, that's what he did with most of his Dune stuff. Buy the rights to Meta Barons and recreate that as a, a full series. Right, right. So, yeah. So, where can uh, people find you on the internet, Justin? No. Oh, you have another one? Yeah, I do have one. Last I'm sorry, one. I got lost. You son of a bitch. <laughs> too early, too early. I tapped out. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, the last one is honestly probably going to lose most of you, most of you just by me describing it. It's called Baskin. It is a Turkish horror film, subtitled about four police officers who find a gateway to hell. The best shorthand I have for this is The Descent by Way of Cultists, which I've never seen The Descent. So, but when you said it's like equal parts Hellraiser and something else i can't remember what your other um honestly as far as its influences yeah like i mean hellraiser um nicholas winding refn yeah um there's one big one i don't really want to spoil but once it features in you kind of go oh shit okay i see that yeah I, I, from the five five or six minutes i watched there's definitely a very strong lynch influence there's that um no, the the big one is at a certain point you get a Kurtzman type character from Apocalypse Now. Oh, like that was the main inspiration there. Some Joseph Conrad slash uh, through Francis Ford Coppola, right? And so it's it's one of those movies that there there are trappings in there that I kind of go, okay, come on, like this is pretty stereotypical. But it does it so well with, you know, establishing the mood. Um, the one negative I have to say for it is that the opening of it is a very slow burn. But once things start amping up, they go crazy super fast, and then you're in that world. I've heard it's real hallucinatory, some of the imagery. Some of it, yeah. yeah. So um, the one thing I will say is that if you are the type to watch trailers... Once I finished it and watched the trailer, the trailer has some of the more weird sequences in there, but there's no context for it. So it does a really good job. Very much like a Nicholas Winding Refn movie where like, I saw the trailer for Drive four or five times before finally the movie came out, went to the theater, saw it. And then when I watched the trailer, I went, how the fuck did I not remember this was in the movie? <laughs> like, there's... Which is funny because so much of that imagery is so evocative and so memorable. It is. But, but because you don't have the context for it. Yeah. So um, it is a slow burn, but once it does trip into that, once they enter the 
abandoned Ottoman uh, police station, that's whenever you start going, okay, shit just got real, this is dark, fuck, like, what are we doing with this? What's happening now? Yeah. Um, honestly, with the Hellraiser comparison, I didn't see it until probably the last 10 or 15 minutes. Um, there's definitely but, blood but, in But there's, I would say definitely even with the slow burn aspect. Right. It's definitely mood, slow burn. From what little I've seen, I could, I could see definitely just like Clive, Clive Barker as an influence overall. Yeah, I think the quote is that um, not since Hellraiser have I seen such a personification of evil. I'm like, okay, cool, yeah. Like once I reread that quote, I was like, okay, yeah, I can totally see that. I can see the way that it it plays with everything and deals. Um, Because I heard I, I heard about this movie watching or listening to the CinemaSins cast. They had guys from a horror movie website that totally completely escapes my brain right now. But they had they were high they were high on Baskin. Right. They were not high on the witch, but they were high on Baskin. They were like they were all about it. They were like this is probably one of like the most in some ways one of the most innovative horror movies in some ways in a long time. Yeah. The as far as like from a film like the filmmaking is just like so different than most horror films what i do find interesting about it is that obviously it's a turkish movie and that they actually didn't have the permits to film a lot of the more evocative scenes which include nudity nudity and blood and guts and all this stuff going on and so they were filming it illegally in the most conservative parts of town because someone had a death wish exactly uh i heard it the the same podcast they interviewed that guy mm-hmm. and like there's like he was like oh no uh, I don't I don't want to do it over email can we do it over the phone and like the whole time they're doing the phone interview there's like gunfire oh, in good, the backgrounds good. and stuff like he's like oh yeah there's something going on uh, you know they're just like <laughs> they're just like what the fuck oh my god I have no idea what the perspective what what your perspective is you know. Yeah, but he was definitely influenced by some of our favorite directors and audio, visual cues, all that stuff. The way lighting is done, like I know, uh, I was kind of amazed that uh, in that one, sh- it's super early in the movie and doesn't give me There's a shot of the kid, and there's the blue, right? Or the I can't remember the term. They there's specific colors: blue, there's red, but then in the back there's also amber. And I was like, whoa, they wouldn't do that in a movie now. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. He put all three, he put three contrasting colors in a shot that all have specific color, you know, blend and, you know, contrast each other. Okay. We're, we're in for some filmmaking. I see. Right. Right. <laughs> it right. was like, I hope Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro has seen this movie because he would, he would probably and, love the shit out of it. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a good kind of comparison there with where, like I probably, uh, I don't know the best comparison to it. Obviously, the descent is my biggest comparison, which has a lot of the lighting, has a lot of the really like oversaturated stuff. But it also does kind of remind me of Crimson Peak. Like if you've seen this type of movie, you kind of know where it's going. Now the last act of it, whenever I say Kurtzman, you kind of go, okay, now I know what's going on. But um, besides that, the very end of it is where I kind of went. Oh really? You're gonna do this? Okay, fuck it, whatever. But, 
beyond that, it really, really good. Remember, you have to get out of the story somehow. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, the story never ends. <laughs> well, that's kind of the point. Um, but you can kind of tell where it's going to end by the turn at some point in it. And you kind of go, oh, okay, this is what this is going to be. Okay, okay. Well, now that I know it's that, we'll go from there. Um, but I totally recommend it. It's actually on Netflix for, for you know, well, Netflix. U.S. The U.S. Netflix is on there. So. Right. So I was going to rent it for five bucks on Amazon and just to watch it. And then I happened to trip across it on Netflix to go, oh, shit, cool. I can save myself five bucks and just watch it. I've heard that there's a couple other horror movies like The Invitation and stuff that are. Yeah, I've heard good. Th- there. I've heard good things about the invitation. The one thing I've heard is, uh, don't let somebody, don't let somebody be the asshole who ruins it for yeah. you. So just watch. So, it. So what happens is we need to watch it at some point and yeah, spoil shit out of it after that. Yeah, for everybody we'll, else, we'll be the asshole who does that for you. <laughs> so, uh, Nathan, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, same places. Um, not as active on the Tumblr. Uh, mostly just on Twitter. At Nate Wad Neutron, or sorry, at, that one's at Nate Wad, isn't it? I Something like that. I'll look it up. But you can also find me on the Facebook group. Um, for the dubious consumers, make sure like, uh, subscribe. You know, let us know. It is at Nate Wad Neutron. Okay, all right. I thought, I thought so, but I doubted myself because I think the Tumblr's at Nate Wad, and I used to reverse them. So, um. As long as uh, you don't try to message me on Facebook directly, you're probably fine. So, but uh, Justin, are you uh, are you ready to unleash the litany, the true litany that is your Googleable name? You can find me on Google at Justin D Heard. But honestly, you can find me at justindheard.com, justindheard.net, at justindheard on Twitter, justinheard.com. Uh, Real Justin D. Heard on Facebook. Justin D. Heard author on Amazon, I believe. Like, yeah, yeah, like uh, I'm all over the fucking place. Honestly, just Google Justin D. Heard. You'll find me. Yeah, he's pretty much all the searches on the first page. And in the images, too. <laughs> so there's that as well. So, uh, Nathan, do you have any final thoughts for us? Um, long live cinema.